Father, as we we think about what you want to say to us now as we continue in worship, we pray that you'd give us ears to hear. Let your words speak deeply to us. And we pray this in Christ's name. There are many forms of prayer that we might call radical. You think about the the command of Jesus praying for our enemies. He tells his followers in Matthew 5, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And in Luke, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. It's a pretty radical prayer to pray that God will help us forgive our enemies and for God to bless the very people who hurt us. You might think that um, it's a radical prayer to pray for God to make us holy as he is holy. Seems way out there. And yet Jesus gives us that command in the fifth chapter of Matthew's gospel. It's a radical prayer because when you stop and realize what we're praying, we're asking God to purify us. And when we ask God to purify us, we're really asking God to burn the impurities, all the junk, the stuff in our lives to get rid of it. Those things that we cling to that we don't want to let go of, those things that we're hanging on to, and we're asking him, tear that stuff out, burn it away. That's a hard, difficult, radical prayer. Last week, we talked about God's call to pray risky, bold prayers about the difficult circumstances and situations in our lives. One of those might be healing for for sickness or pain. And as, as difficult as that kind of prayer can be, and it's hard to understand some of those circumstances, it's a radical prayer for us as we pray for God to work in these situations to at the same time pray with all of our hearts God, give me power and courage and strength to face the pain and the difficulty that you choose not to remove. And that too is a difficult, radical prayer. But it seems to me as as I think about, as I talk to people, as I think about my own life and look at circumstances, that as radical as those kinds of prayers are, I wonder if perhaps the most radical prayer we can pray is the prayer in which we pray completely for God to work for others that has nothing to do with us. It's the prayer that says, God, I want you to work in other people's lives regardless of what happens in my life. It's the prayer that Paul's describing in these final greetings to the Colossians. As this this letter comes to an end, he's reminding the Colossians of various Christians that they know that are with Paul. And eventually in verse 12, he mentions a man, Epaphras, who is one of them, a servant of Christ, and how he sends his greetings. And then Paul writes, he is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. 
I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea Hierapolis. Epaphras is wrestling in prayer, not for himself, but for others, for the Colossians. Epaphras is concerned about their well-being, and he gives himself this agony of soul to pray for them. The word wrestling is, is the word that uh, in English we get means to agonize. It's engaging in a struggle. It, literally, it means to fight, and figuratively, it means to strive. And so after his arrest, as Jesus is being interviewed by Pilate, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight, would agonize to prevent my arrest. The only time the word is used in the Gospels is Jesus' admonition in Luke 13, where he says to his disciples, Strive, fight, agonize to enter the kingdom by the narrow door. It's a task of working hard, fighting your way through tough and difficult times. And the forms of this word are are describe the the tenacious athletic contests and the athletes who compete in them. It makes me think of, of, of a football game where the running back takes the ball and heads into the line and he runs into a mass of people. But his legs keep churning and keep churning and keep churning and he keeps pushing and pushing on the pile and pushing and pushing until eventually an opening comes up and he runs through it all the way for a touchdown. Or in the classroom, you know, there's something you just can't quite grasp. And you want to give up, you want to stop, but you don't. You keep reading hour after hour after hour and you go and you talk to your professor and you talk to other people and you go back and you read again and you read it again and you keep asking more questions and keep reading more times until eventually after hours and hours of labor, it comes to you. It's that kind of effort that Paul's describing in the way that Epaphras is praying. difference is, the end result of it is not about what we gain. It's about what others gain. And it's a radical prayer because it goes against the grain of all that our culture tells us is most important, self. Of course, we don't need the culture's pressure to, to do that. Our sinful natures are pretty selfish to begin with. And we are naturally inclined to think most and first about us. And Paul is speaking to us about a man who prays first and foremost about other people. Agonizes in prayer for them. It's really praying like Jesus. It's praying like the followers of Jesus through the ages... It's more than just saying a few prayers. It's engaging ourselves in the struggles of other people, in their battles. It's weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. And as Paul says to the Galatians, it's bearing one another's burdens. Letting the weight of what other people are facing fall on us. And we willingly take it. Think for a moment of the hardest struggle of your life. The thing that you engage in that saps your energy and weighs you down and as much as you you try to toss it aside, it keeps coming back to you. 
It's like, it's like a chain around your neck that you're continually having to trudge through to get into it. And you think of all the effort and the pain and the agony that you go through in that, and you keep doing it because you know at the end it's going to bring you to something good. And now imagine you go through all of the energy and the pain and the agony because when you get to the end, it's going to do something good for someone else. And will have little or no consequence for good for you. And that's the kind of sacrificial, radical prayer to which we as followers of Christ are called to engage. They start engaging in this kind of prayer and it gets messy. You know, it's not only hard, it's messy. Because this kind of radical taking on the burdens of other people, prayer will probably involve listening to people, hearing them pour out the confessions of their souls. And if you've never been through what they're going through, you may be tempted to become impatient with them. If what they tell you uh, repulses you, you may judge them and shove them away. Or maybe even worse, if what they say to you is your own struggle, it just feels like it's heaping more guilt on you. But if you're going to pray, if we're going to pray these kinds of prayers, you get involved in people's lives. Richard Foster says you can't pray these kinds of prayers from a distance. You, you, have to, you can't be at a sterile, arm's length kind of purity. You've got to get into it. You've got to be into the mess with people. And we do that not because we're masochists or because we think it will earn us points with God or make us look good before other people. We do it because we care about people. Because it's what God asks of us. I think we see this kind of praying most clearly in in our intercession for each other. And more than any other form of prayer, intercession teaches us the sacrificial way of Christ and of prayer. You're really going to be an intercessor. It's going to cost you something. You give your precious time to other people to pray for them. And you give your energy to take on their burdens. And the Holy Spirit begins to put those burdens on us. And they're heavy. And they're hard to carry. John Koenig speaks of this kind of praying as claiming boldly our fair share in the ongoing redemption of the world. Claiming boldly our fair share of the ongoing redemption of the world. Now, obviously, the redemption of the world is the work of Christ, but we're called to join him. Paul reminds the the Corinthians near the end of chapter 5, that Christ, the world has been reconciled to God through Christ. And then he says, he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. It's this kind of radical prayer that causes us to carry out, the, motivates us to carry out the last objective of our mission statement, our vision statement. And the bookmark that we handed out a few weeks ago, and there's some still in the pew racks. The objective states that we want to be a church that takes on Christ's suffering in our, as a, our redemptive response to sin and evil. 
We want to take on Christ's suffering as our redemptive response to sin and evil. We do this by praying for other people and getting involved with other people. We become a voice for the voiceless and we wrestle with with them and, and for them before the Father. And sometimes we do this because they're so overwhelmed, they don't know what to pray or how to pray. And we step in and we pray for them. Richard Foster speaks about this kind of radical prayer and saying that we speak to God about the bruised and the broken and the helpless and the homeless. We speak about, and our spiritual defiance leads us to to aggressive action against all injustice and oppression. And so that we're enraged that people are thrown into prison at the whim of an unjust ruler. Or that the child that we hear about has been physically or emotionally abused. We're insulted that in our culture, it defines choice in such a way as to pit a woman against her body. But that it defines life in such a way as to grind the poor all the more deeply into their poverty. What's interesting is that when you begin to take on this kind of pain, particularly, primarily in prayer, it looks foolish to everybody else. I mean, to our culture, it appears completely irrelevant to a world based on power and efficiency and control. But we keep speaking the truth and we pray for our enemies and refuse to cooperate with injustice. And amazingly, God does something and brings about change. It's because we feel the pain of other people that we wrestle and expend ourselves in prayer. Even though the answer really isn't for us. But that's why it's so radical. We aren't gaining it. We're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for others. As Christ has done for us. So we pray for the persecuted church. It's great to come together with Christians around the world one Sunday a year to pray for them. But if, if this is the burden on our hearts, we've got to be praying every day for the persecuted church. Investing ourselves in their pain and in their struggle. Asking God to put their burden onto us as we pray. It's one more way in which the kingdom of God is countercultural to the kingdoms of this world. But it's not just about what's out there, it's about what's here as well. I suspect this kind of praying is one of the most profound ways that we connect with one another. That we truly become the body of Christ, the family of God. If you've been here very long, you've heard me talk about the responsibility that we have as a church to our children. To create an atmosphere in which we, we nurture our young like a mother eagle. We want to create a a nest, a safe environment, a loving place where our children can learn of Christ and and see the presence of Christ in us so that when they get to the place where they make their own decisions for Christ, they'll have a foundation to do that. One thing we've put in the prayer room are are creek stones. The the point of that is, going back to Joshua chapter 4, where the, the people of Israel have come across the Jordan River. God opened the river up as he did the Red Sea and they walk across on dry land and when everyone's across, God says, Joshua, you go get stones out of the middle of that river and you stack them up into a memorial 
So that when your children walk by that, they're going to ask, what do those stones mean? What's that for? And when they ask, you stop whatever you're doing. Don't say, I'll talk to you about that later. I'm busy right now. You stop what you're doing right in that moment. You sit down with your children and you tell them what I did in this river and in the Red Sea and everything else I've done and everything I've promised. And you create this, this atmosphere, this curiosity and yearning to know about what, who God is and what God has done. You build that foundation for them. But you know, stacking up stones is hard work. It takes time with our children, explaining and teaching and explaining and teaching and explaining and teaching and explaining and teaching. It takes a lot out of us. It's sacrifice. But that's what family does. That's what you do. You know, whether you are, whether you attend this church year round or you're here only during the academic year, you're a part of that. For college students, our, our children look up to you and they watch you and they mimic you and we're happy about that. And I'm so excited for the more than 100 students that are participating in our ministries, many of them with children, have a great opportunity, but also a great responsibility because you have to think, what are they taking from what I'm saying and how I'm responding and what I'm doing? And it's sacrifice. We pray for them. It begins by praying for our children, creating a, a culture that is contrary and counter to the culture that we live in that wants to steal their innocence and their sense of security and their childhood. And we pray for their openness to Christ and His work in their lives in a world that's telling them, just do your own thing, go whatever way you want to go. We pray for a willingness on our part to give up what we want and what we like and what's most comfortable for us in order to be the most positive influence for Christ in the lives of children and others that we can possibly be. Those prayers are going to naturally lead us to action if we mean them. It's radical prayer because we're asking, we're begging God to cause us to think more about others than about us. But that's what Christian family, Christian community does. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't pray for ourselves. Scriptures are filled with people who pray for themselves and we're commanded to pray for ourselves and we would have been wasting our time the last few weeks if that were the case. You know, we would, we've talked about asking, seeking, knocking, and how important that is. And we need to be praying for ourselves. That's one of the paradoxes, of the many paradoxes of our faith. While we, we invest ourselves praying about our own situations, we also invest ourselves praying about situations for other people. We give ourselves to both of them. Think of it this way. You're learning to play baseball. And you go out to the field and the coach says, okay, we're going to learn to field ground balls. And you spend all day fielding ground balls and the next day fielding ground balls. And you're like, hey, I'm getting pretty good at this. I think I understand baseball. 
And then you come to practice one day, and the coach says, okay, now we're going to work on learning to catch a fly ball. And he sends you out to the outfield. You start hitting fly balls in the outfield. And, of course, you know, the, some of them drop beside you. Maybe some of them drop on you. And, you, you know, you, you figure it out. But eventually you get it. And you start catching fly balls. And you get pretty good at catching fly balls. But now, just because you know how to catch fly balls doesn't mean you don't still need to know how to catch ground balls. Both of them are essential to learning how to play baseball. And praying for ourselves and praying for others, both of them are essential to what it means to be a person of prayer in the kingdom of God. My question is, as we think about all of the ways that we pray, is there, is there any room in our prayers for putting aside our own needs and wrestling, agonizing, struggling, sacrificing in prayer because of others? It causes us to think a little differently about one another and about the world. Instead of asking of the world, why is there suffering? We're asking, Lord, what do you want to do in me to be a redemptive presence in the midst of suffering? When we think about us, we're, instead of asking, why are those people having such a hard time with that? It's not that hard. We're asking, Lord, how can I be your presence with them and for them in their struggle? And as we started this we read this chapter from, from uh, Exodus earlier. I'm, I'm amazed at, at the leadership of Moses under the people of Israel, who are not an easy group to manage. And they have their ups and downs. But Moses is, is a pretty amazing guy. When you get to this 32nd chapter, you know, Moses is up on the mountain having this phenomenal experience with God, getting the Ten Commandments on the tablets. And the people of Israel are down in the, in the valley throwing their gold together and fashioning a calf and saying, this is our God who brought us out of Egypt. And God says to Moses on the mountain, step aside. You're, those people you brought out of Egypt, I'm done with them. I'm done with them and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it. And Moses steps in the gap for them and, and God relents. And Moses goes down the mountain and now it's his turn to be furious and he smashes the tablets he said, what are you guys doing? And, and he confronts them and he punishes them. And then the next day, it says, Moses says, you've committed a great sin. But I'm going to go to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And then he prays to God, oh, what great sin these people have committed. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, if you're going to blot them out as a people then take me too. Take me too. Wow. That is the kind of radical, sacrificial praying that God is calling us to. It creates this community of of faith and connectedness of lives. We come from a variety of different places and walks of life and experiences. You know, all this diversity, this is one of the things that brings us together. A lot of things have have been coming back to me through this prayer vigil and some have surprised me, some haven't. 
I, wasn't, I haven't been really surprised that when people get done, they're saying, man, an hour wasn't long enough. And I'm not surprised that because of that, people are going right back and signing up again, which I would encourage you to do. If you, if you want to sign up again, please feel free to do so. I, I'm not really surprised that we're using a lot of Kleenex. But there are some things that surprise me. One, one thing that surprised me, I have to admit, is how fast the signups have been going. I mean, I, I didn't know. And, and I've been surprised at, at the openness and the honesty of people who have written things on the big pieces of whiteboard in those rooms. People who have poured out their hearts in amazing sincerity and honesty. It's been amazing. But I think the thing that surprised me the most, and maybe because it's, it, it, it happened to me as well, is how many people have come to me over the course of this week and have said, you know, I was in the prayer room for an hour, and as soon as I got done, and from the moment I walked out of there, I can't stop thinking about the people who are in the room praying now. And, and every time I think of them, which is regularly throughout the day, almost hourly, I'm praying for them. I'm wondering what kind of experience they're having. And I'm asking God to give them a blessed experience in the, as they pray for that hour. And I have to admit, I, I didn't even, that wasn't even on my radar that we would start feeling that way for each other. It's been so exciting to hear that as we're connecting our lives together as we're praying individually and yet realizing that we're all about this chain, this bond of prayers in unity of spirit. It's that kind of mindset that creates this radical, sacrificial prayer in us. It seems to me that it's that kind of, of mindset and this kind of idea that's developing. It's exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says that people will look at you and say, my, how they care about each other. You might, might want to be a part of that. And so Paul writes, as recorded in the message, Epaphras, what a trooper he's been. He is tireless in his prayers for you. May God give us that same tireless spirit of prayer for one another, for the world. Father, may it be so. May it be so for us. The grace of Christ Jesus. Amen.